0: From my home studio, welcome to Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations.
1: I'm deeply, deeply, deeply critical of this government. I don't think that disengagement is an option. I'm
0: your host, Brian Schwartzman and today I'm speaking with two returning guests, Rabbi Deborah Waxman and Rabbi Maurice Harris. Each has recently published important pieces dealing with the relationship between non-Orthodox Diaspora Jews and the State of Israel. Rabbi Waxman recently published an article under the headline, Israel is in Danger of Losing American Jewry, in the influential Sapir Journal, which is edited by Brett Stevens of the New York Times. The piece really articulates what are the reasons why so many non-Orthodox Jews have such a strong connection, identification with Israel, and where some of the fissures, disappointments, and complications have, have come in, not only recently, but, but really throughout, throughout Israel's history. Rabbi Waxman was recently interviewed about the piece by Hanan Weissman, a former State Department official who now directs the Sapir Institute. The interview goes deep into Reconstructionist thought and its approaches to Zionism, and we put a link to the article and video in our, in our show notes. Rabbi Harris recently published on Evolve a piece called My Israel Palestine Learning Curve is a Zigzag. And this piece is part personal history. Harris tells the story of his mother's family fleeing Morocco for their lives and finding refuge, if not exactly an easy life, in the Jewish state. It's also an intellectual biography of sorts uh, when it comes to Rabbi Harris and his approaches and understanding to Jewish and Palestinian narratives. And and in it and throughout it, uh, he wrestles with profound moral, historical and spiritual questions. Okay, a reminder. All of the essays discussed on this show are available to read for free on the Evolve website, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. Now, if you want different perspectives on Israel-Palestine, there's a lot on this website. Much of it has been added just over the past few months, weeks even. Some of what's written there I personally don't agree with, but I'll say all of it is thought-provoking and it serves as a forum where where people, thinkers, can engage with these questions thoughtfully, productively, respectfully, um, sort of with the reconstructionist approach in mind. So I urge you to check it out, read, think, and decide for yourself. It it really is um, modeling conversation. Now, both Rabbi Harris and Rabbi Waxman recently spent extended time in Israel and Palestine, and this podcast conversation today focuses a lot on those observations and experiences. Note this recording took place in early July, and since then, portions of the ruling coalition's effort to weaken, overhaul the the Israeli judiciary have moved closer to passage with um, Israel seeming closer and closer to an abyss uh, with, with with another side that, that's uh, hard to imagine. So, uh, back in November of 2022, Deborah, spent three weeks in in uh, in Israel Palestine. Uh, you know, when the results of of Israel's election were just coming in, and the shape of the coalition was just starting to form in in the public's mind. Um, She was there for a meeting of the Jewish Agency for Israel. She serves as its deputy chair of the Jewish Agency Ethics, Governance, and Standards Committee. Jewish Agency is often described as the largest Jewish nonprofit in the world, and it's historically been tasked with promoting and facilitating immigration to Israel And more recently, it's been much more focused or or focused on building of Jewish identity throughout the globe. Also in November, Rabbi Waxman took part in a study tour of Israel and Palestine organized by the New Israel Fund and Jewish Social Justice Roundtable. And that was for CEOs of uh, Jewish organizations, part of the Roundtable. In April, she attended a series of gatherings that were meant to mark. Israel's 75th anniversary, but in the end, were largely overshadowed by the judicial overhaul push and the resulting nationwide protests. She attended another meeting of the Jewish Agency, and she attended um, a meeting of the World Zionist Congress as an elected delegate, and that's been described as the parliament of the Jewish people. She also was part of the General Assembly of Jewish Federations of North America, which is typically the largest gathering in organized American Jewry, North American Jewry, and this year was held in Israel. Now, Deborah is the CEO of Reconstructing Judaism, and as somebody who works for this organization, I can attest her schedule is packed, like really packed and the number of priorities she has to juggle just makes me feel dizzy almost. So I say this to know the weight of her decision to spend this much time out of the United States, engaging with Israel, engaging in the conversation about Israel. Rabbi Harris is reconstructing Judaism's Israel affairs specialist. In May, he took part in the convention of the World Union for Progressive Judaism which is the international network of the reform, liberal, progressive, and reconstructionist movements, representing an estimated 1.8 million members worldwide and more than 1,200 congregations in over 50 countries. He also held several meetings with folks from different sectors of Israeli society. Plus, he's got dozens of family members in Israel, and he made time to check in with them and had some interesting conversations with them, which will which we'll talk about. Now, I'm somebody who spent a lot of time in 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 Israel in my early 20s. There's a deep affinity, but like many, I've also been really profoundly alarmed at the direction the politics has gone in in in, in recent years. And often, I don't know what to think, and 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 many times I, I disagree with myself over the course of a given day so i've looked forward to this conversation not because i expect all the answers handed to me on a, on a platter but to, to really help me sort through what what i've been thinking and and in a number of places i really did find it um not only just validating but but helpful and 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 introduce some new perspectives and avenues i hadn't thought of so i hope I hope you find something in there. In there, too, um, you know. Anybody who cares about this place, where we're all just, many of us are, are all just trying to figure it out. So, okay, it's time for our guests, Rabbi Deborah Waxman, Rabbi Maurice Harris. Welcome, welcome back to the to the podcast. Re- repeat guests. It's it's good to see both of you again.
1: It's wonderful to be with you, Brian, and always with you as well, Maurice.
2: Likewise, very much.
0: So much to um, to dive into. We're here to talk about Israel, American Jewish relationship to Israel. Not not a new topic, but a very fluid one. Um, each of you has has spent a, a fair amount of of time there recently. Um, we're I mean we're at a time of enormous political change, and 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 certainly. Some some in uh, um, in the diaspora Jewish community have have used this as a time to question not only the policies of Israel but but the level of of commitment. Is this is this a place? Is this a society I should be engaged with when there's so much happening um, at home, wherever home may be? I mean, each of you really leaned into that engagement um, and and. Devoted an enormous amount of, of professional time to um, engaging and to getting in conversations that might might not have always been so easy. So I'm, I'm wondering to to each of you, may, um, what what really motivated you to to lean in in this way.
1: Well, Maurice is our is reconstructing Judaism's I- Israel specialist. So his it's, it's one of many right. portfolios he holds, but he is expressly uh, identified with working with these projects. I'm the CEO, and um, you know my attention and my time and how I spend it is is divided across many many things, um, and Israel is absolutely one of them uh, for incredibly affirmative reasons half of the world's jews live there there's incredible creativity there's the you know thousands of year old connection um and also for uh uh not reactive but for challenging reasons it is a place of as as you suggested it is a place of conflict and 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 many american jews and many diaspora jews feel that conflict and so I I absolutely feel that um, I'm called to talk about Israel a lot in my in my leadership and in my rabbinate. And I am intensely interested in doing that from knowledge and from experience and from relationship. So I'm, I'm always anxious for any opportunity to go to Israel, to be in Israel, to be in conversations with is- Israeli Jews, with Israeli Arabs, with Palestinians. Um, the the uh, you know not to not to get too deeply into it but of, of the of the everything that I just listed the involvement with the Jewish agency I think really significantly for me has to do with our commitments to religious pluralism this is the place where when people are frustrated about the uh, the Western Wall the Kotel an egalitarian prayer space since we do not have Israeli Reconstructionist representatives on the ground in Israel, like institutions, the Jewish Agency is a place for us to exercise influence and to share our perspective and to push for things that we really care about. So that's one of the main reasons why I am involved on behalf of the Reconstructionist movement in the Jewish Jewish Agency. They they, they address many, many other things and there are resources and there are opportunities and there are challenges, but that is the main impetus for, for, for me to be involved there. Uh, the study tour, I just, I, I deeply appreciate the perspective and the analysis and the collegiality of the Jewish Social Justice Roundtable and the opportunity to go to, to talk to activists in the NGO sector and the non-governmental organization sector in Israel in partnership with the Roundtable and MIF And, and their partnerships. field just felt so important to me in general and that I felt that it really would give me more information and deepen relationships with colleagues in, here in, in the United States and, and all the more so with colleagues in Israel and in Palestine. Um, and then the the World Zionist Congress as nutty and ancient as this, uh, it, is, um, it is the locus for diaspora Jews, presumably who identify as Zionists, although there is an incursion of um, non-Zionist Uh, Haredi Jews in this most recent incarnation. Um, uh, It is the locus where where diaspora Jews are invited to engage in in opinions and in actions, however symbolic, um, around Israel. And um, also, as symbolic as all of that is, the election results of the World Zionist Congress determine the political appointments of to the Jewish Agency and the World Zionist Organization and Kakal, the Israeli Jewish National Fund, whose collective budgets exceed a billion dollars. So there's there's what to weigh weigh in. So for me it's um it is about engaging, being informed, having influence and a voice to understand deeply. Uh, to make the case where necessary. Um, I don't think that, yeah, I'm deeply, deeply, deeply critical of this government. I don't think that disengagement is an option. I think, um, I think that criticism is entirely legitimate, and I've long believed that, and it's especially true in with this government. But I, I just I think that just the, re- the fact of the reality is this is big in the world, and this is big in the Jewish world, and, um, I, I, want to try to approach it with as much integrity and with as much knowledge and frankly, with as much influence as I can muster.
0: Maurice, I'm wondering if you had one or two, um, experiences encountered that either inspired you or really encapsulated what, what, you know, what you think the situation is, is there now? or at least uh, was in April when you, when you, when you were right. on the ground.
2: Um, so, so, well, I, so I was actually on the ground in May and um, I can think of a couple of moments that really jumped out. Uh, one was at the very end of the World Union for Progressive Judaism's convention. Um, the, w- one of the, liberal movements that is a part of the World Union along with our movement is the reform movement in Israel. And the reform movement in Israel made a collective decision to officially support the pro-democracy protests that have been going on in Israel for 25 plus weeks. So at the very end of the conference, after Havdalah on, on Saturday night, uh, they invited as many people who were at the convention who wanted to go to the weekly demonstration in Jerusalem. And, uh, my experience there was mind blowing. Uh, you know, I, I was stunned by the huge numbers of people, uh, that were there. I was also deeply impressed by how well organized, uh, the the protest was, uh, and how much organizing for future activity was embedded within the way in which this event was staged, um, and uh, it you know it it was extremely loud, and in some ways um, had the feel of being in a space that was going to be very disruptive, um, and. At the same time, it was extremely orderly. It was all ages. Um, I would say about one out of every 10 uh, people that I assumed were men um, had a kippah on, um, which uh, can mean many different things in Israel. But um, I I was nevertheless impressed and surprised uh, that, you know, the The breadth of the uh, backgrounds of this coalition of people coming together around these concerns really seems to be wider um, than past groups that have, you know, massed together to demonstrate. And, you know, in in the case of the demo that I was at, I saw that they had several ingredients, including really excellent music, including three speakers who were all national intellectuals who treated this as kind of a teach-in to some extent. Um, The amount of education that's going on about how democracies work, what it means to design a democracy so that uh, it doesn't become tyranny of the majority, why checks and balances matter. Um, There's this massive... Informal education that's playing out about the ins and outs of what makes democracy function that are a part of this particular protest movement. Um, and then, you know, they closed, the, the Israeli flags were everywhere, and they closed the demonstration um, by singing Hatikvah and thanking the police. Um, and there was no violence. There was no vandalism, and all kinds of people who clearly live in those Jerusalem neighborhoods and know that the gatherings are happening there—they all—they all had their cars parked along the streets, and, um, just like normal. Pe- people weren't taking steps they might take if they thought their property was going to get, you know, damaged. Um, so I was really, really, really impressed, um, and. I have a lot of confidence that the decentralized um, network of leaders uh, across the country who are involved in this um, are putting a lot of effort into um, designing ongoing resistance so that it can be sustainable and so that it can attempt to keep up with you know, the, the pivots and strategy that that will inevitably come from the government as it even this week seeks to ram through, um, it, some of its judicial overhaul. So I know I spoke at length about that. That was certainly, a, a really powerful experience I had. There was another powerful experience I had speaking with the CEO of a green startup, but maybe I'll save that story for later.
0: I yeah. am. Um, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I mean, first off, I haven't I haven't been to Israel since two thousand and eight. So 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 um, everything I'm on the ground, I'm, I'm I'm getting through reading about it or or, or, or seeing videos. Um, and 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 I I, I am curious, De- um, Deborah, you were you were actually, if I remember correctly, at, had a chance to 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 take part in, in a in a protest as well. And I was wondering what your um, what your experience was like?
1: Yeah, I was at multiple protests. I mean, I, I would I would echo what Maurice said that um, I've been to a lot of marches and um, and and and, event and and experiences here in the states, and this was really different. The fact, especially since it is an ongoing thing, I, I was uh, on the uh, at the major protest uh, in Tel Aviv twice. One with uh, a regular Saturday night gathering and, and on Kaplan Street, and then the other. Uh, I was there for Yom Haatzmaut, so I went to. It was like a big. That, that, that's how I chose to spend Yom Haatzmaut. Maurice did a really wonderful job of uh, capturing the the, the playfulness and the organization and the educational and the, the, the educational focus and the respect. I do remember uh, one of the things that I, I'm finding very very interesting is that the protests are. Jewish Israelis, and, um, it would be a different experience if there were Arab Israelis or Palestinians who were either joining in, in the protests or, or organizing the protests. And there was a group that, um, was handing out and and everybody has an assigned spot in Tel Aviv. I think that's probably true in, in Jerusalem as well. And there was a group, uh, that is an anti-occupation group, and that they were handing out flyers that said, uh, in, in in Hebrew, "There is no democracy while there's still occupation." And um, and they were not small, but they were also not large. My understanding is that that contingent is larger in Jerusalem, where the conflict is uh, a little bit more in the face uh, of residents and, and, and there and in the surrounding neighborhoods. Um, and but on Yom Haatzmaut, I heard. I don't. I don't recall it was, but a university professor, a political scientist, a national intellectual, and he made the point. He made the point expressly that we have to be extending this battle, beyond the Jewish, uh, the Jewish constituency. And it was very striking to me that uh, it's not. The, the crowd did not erupt in cheers, and neither did they erupt in boos. And that 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 observation was made to the tens of thousands of people who were gathered, and, uh, and it was received. I don't know if it was embraced, but it was received. So that, that's one thing I would add to what Maurice uh, beautifully described. I also was a part of a, uh, a demonstration that was organized by members of the Progressive Israel Network, which we are a member, um, at the World Zionist Congress. And we marched from the International Conference Center to the Israeli Supreme Court right nearby. And just two stories out of it. And um, one is, you know, we were really, the world's Zionist Congress really is people from around the world. This group was mostly uh, North American with a, uh, but there were some um, folks from the, especially from the Art Slate and from the Merit Slate who joined in. And so, you know, there, I know there were some folks from uh, Central Europe, especially someone from Hungary who was talking very, very powerfully about um, how traumatized the Hungarian community is by Orban's rise and how hard we have to fight and how disciplined we have to be and folks from Paris and uh, some Australians who came. And, but we were conscious that we were diaspora Jews that the Congress kind of permits us to take this stance but we didn't want it to be too grandstanding. And the organizers had been in touch with um, Anshan Neshek which is a group of uh, Israeli military veterans who are very, very, very involved in the protest movements, and they came, they marched along with us, they gave, they brought us uh, Israeli flags, and they spoke about how meaningful it was to have uh, the solidarity and the support. Um, and the, the last story I'll tell is that it was very, very interesting is that um it was a little bit ad hoc. We didn't seek a permit. Um we said we were going on a walk. Uh we were we spoke very, very briefly outside of the Supreme Court. And there was one policeman who was accompanying us, and we were we were wondering and we were watchful and we were concerned that he was gonna disrupt or chastise or 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 uh disperse. And the one uh the, the couple of things that he said was like we keep your group together so you don't get hit by cars as we were crossing the street. Mm-hmm. He was concerned for our safety. And he and he just in a very uh, uh, respectful way said, you've got to wrap this up, or otherwise I'm going to have to take." You know, he was, he really he was he was he partnered with us, and so that was just really um, that was just so interesting, um, and and and, um, and felt like it was a meeting of diaspora concerns and, and indigenous Israeli concerns.
0: Maurice, you've you've written in the evolve pages about your own, uh, about your own family history, about, about, um, your, your mother's family having to flee Morocco in, 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 you know, in the dead of night and, and, and being resettled in, in Israel and, and your large Moroccan family. I mean, my, 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 my understanding is, you know, some of your very close relatives are on, on the other side of, of, of this, of this issue, the judicial overhaul. Um, I mean, to the, you know, to the extent you're comfortable, I mean, I, I imagine you, you saw some folks on, on, on this recent trip. Um, What, you know, what were the, those conversations like or, or did they, did they happen at all?
2: So i um, I did see quite a few of my relatives uh, on this trip and, Only a few of them brought up the subject of the, the demonstrations and the judicial overhaul. Um, There I let's put it this way. No one um, that I spoke to among my uh, relatives said that they were marching um, or that they were supportive. Um, I heard several, of my relatives express skepticism about the demonstrators. Um, And I had one uncle in particular who, uh, you know, was really the only person who went on a rant. Um, And I feel like there's something to be learned about the rant that he went on. Um, And he's, he's in his, 70s and he's worked really hard his whole life and he is struggling economically so he had two things to say that don't really go together if typically uh, if you were to try to make a right left center map of Israel Um, so the first thing that he said was that he used to vote for Netanyahu but uh, he hasn't the last two times because he's concluded that Netanyahu's only interests are himself and his rich friends hmm. and that the whole country is rigged and that the rich keep getting richer and that people who've worked hard their whole lives are getting less and less and less during their retirement. And so, he, you know, he kind of sounded a little like, you know, Bernie Sanders playbook um and then abruptly he pivoted to how um the demonstrators are um, all people who don't want the judicial package to pass because they're the beneficiaries of the current economic system they're professors and upper middle class people and they're all the beneficiaries of this crooked system, they're not really patriotic. They just hand out flags to them when they get there. Otherwise they wouldn't wave them. And if the judicial package doesn't pass, then nothing will change and it all needs to change. And I had no idea what to do with, you know, that whole package of beliefs. Um, And, you know, I mean, he's, a guy who was also, uh, he's a, he married my blood relative. So, but you know, he's, I think an Iraqi Jew and I think, you know, uh, was a refugee as a kid and, um, you know, didn't get to finish high school and he's intelligent. Um, and, uh, demoralized, frustrated, not very optimistic about the future of the country as a whole, but, um, kind of described, you know, I, what I heard, what I if I could draw a thread out of what I heard from him and maybe read between the lines of um, some of the reticence to even get into the subject among some of my relatives, um, I, I think there may be a lot of, let's say, center-right-leaning uh, Israelis or e- even Mizrahi uh, Israelis um, who tend to not be ideologues um, but do tend to be—they sort of want to be street smart about politics. Um, who may be feeling a little bit like they don't have an obvious camp. Um, that that there's ways in which I think um, the the embrace of the Haredim and maybe the very far right ultranationalist zealots. Um, those aren't folks that people in my family feel all that. Comfortable with even have some pretty deep resentments towards. Um, those aren't the folks that attracted them to Likud in the past, um, you know. So, but they also don't really feel welcome or know whether or not they actually belong in the in the conscious world of what they perceive as the activist left. Um, and and so I I just got this sense that um, there there's a, a kind of a standing back and worrying and waiting maybe for things to shake out a little more clearly uh, and they're not quite sure where to where to land. Um, that's a lot of speculation on my part, but that was my that that was my takeaway.
1: Can can I jump in with an observation? Um, one of the things that's always a, a, a attracted me to Israel is, is just how small and local it is. you know like we live in this right. sprawling continental country and um, and it's it's very hard to have an influence on national politics and and it's very hard to put your finger on, on a national zeitgeist. And obviously there are different camps and there are different groups. Um, but, but it's just so, it's so much more accessible and it's so much more, I think, alive and it's so much more changeable. So, you know, you, you referenced it, Brian, when you said to Maurice, well, you were just there, you know, last month and, and, and who knows if the reality, so the reality, Maurice and I literally passed in the air. We were trying to, I was trying to download to him what I had experienced and, and, the, and there were a couple of things mm-hmm. he wanted to share with me. And literally our, we, we joked that our flights were, our planes were probably, Crossing in in the airspace and he already arrived in a different country than I left. I mean, it just changes so much. And Brian, you say you haven't been there since 2008. And I think about, you know, how much the great recession and the economic downturn that followed affected Israel as much as it affected everything that we're here in America. And that's when I think the, the huge financial, um, remaking happened and the income inequality that we see um that is is uh and the gap between the the one percent and everybody else um that's when it really 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 started to accelerate so you know brian like it's, it's just it's a it's a radically different country i mean and, and and the economics really the economics are such a huge part of it and the affordability issue and then you've got things like the deep ideological overlays that that also fuel it Right. It's, it's, just, it's just it's 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 hard to get a hold of Israel. I, it's, I say often that when American Jews are talking about Israel, very often we're talking about America, and some of that is because we have been fed such a uh, an, uh, an idealized uh, and in a certain way utilitarian, like Israel exists for our education um, and for our uh, uh, existential needs, um, and some of it has to do with. Um, with a distance, um, and some of it has to do with h- how easy it is to project both aspirations and anxiety onto something that is that is not us, um, and so it's useful in that way. And some of it has to do with the fact that uh, it, Israel is such a changeable nation, and, um, and I think the American press, for sure, and even the, the Jewish press doesn't do a particularly good job of capturing or communicating that. And in the age of the internet, there are many, many more ways to tap into or make it make it accessible. But it, it's it's. I do think that it's important for me to be to, in Israel, especially in this role, at least once a year, so that I just can I can just tap in and plug in uh, in a way that is different. It's just it's just fundamentally different than it is when I'm sitting anyplace else.
0: Yeah, in two thousand and eight, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had been prime minister once for a total of three years or so, so it was a very wow. very different country just done then alone and and the half year i spent there was in 1999 when the country resoundingly voted for ehud barak and 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 his vision for really restarting the the oslo process and 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 aggressively pursuing peace with 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 syria and and Clearly, it, it it is a you know it is a country that has moved um, moved very much since then for, for all kinds of reasons. If you're enjoying this episode, leave a five star rating or a review for us in Apple Podcasts. These ratings really help other people find out about the show. It's it's like it's it's a it's a, like a giant billboard. Um, We'd like to get to 105 star ratings. Currently we're at 41. So please help us out. If you have a moment, we really appreciate it. If you want to write a couple words, we might even read your review on the show. We did it last time. So let's, uh, let's see some more profusive praise, you know, can't get too much. Okay. Back to our conversation. I am wondering, I know there were demonstrations in in american cities i on the east coast there were, there was certainly a few in new york maybe maybe in 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 philadelphia also mm-hmm. um, I, I guess generally i mean most most or a lot of american jews that that care about israeli democracy um don't don't have the opportunities to, to spend this the amount of time that the, that each of you did so in, in Israel if, if to get there at all. Um wondering if, if either of you have suggestions what what folks can do to, to make their voices heard on this or what 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 a, a diaspora Jews role could could be in, in terms of active, engaged um, citizen Of or non, not a citizen of Israel, but citizen of of, of global Jewry, I guess.
1: Really important to note that uh, Israelis are asking us to jump in and Israelis Mm. are asking us to share our voices and to share our values. There's an ongoing debate about, well, you know, if you know, American Jews, anyone who doesn't live in Israel, you, you don't have an opinion, and that is one of the spaces that the World Zionist Congress occupies is that it is the place where diasporas are invited in to have an opinion. But uh, I've I've long been of the uh, belief that 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 forum exists anywhere and everywhere, but this is an unprecedented moment where where Israelis uh, are saying, obviously these are people who are really deeply concerned about the judicial reform, but they are saying, if you care about democracy, if you care about a vision of, of uh of Israel that is that that is committed to democratic values it's really essential for, for you to weigh in here um so Mauissa do you want to want to take on
2: yeah absolutely I, I have a few thoughts to share about that um and I, you know the the first is how frequently I heard from Israelis uh involved in um, fighting to preserve the balance of powers and democratic institutions in Israel that they that they that they want very much to hear the voices of diaspora Jews raised loud um, and in ways that that are tactically effective, you know. So um, to to be contacting one's own elected officials uh, in diaspora countries um, to urge them to take steps that uh, make clear. Um, you know, a, a, a strong commitment for maintaining democratic institutions in Israel and a deep displeasure uh, over the thought of that those aspects of Israel's nature being degraded. Um, most of the demonstrations happening in the United States uh, are being organized by Israeli citizens who live in the United States. Uh, they've formed a network called Unacceptable, Um with a funny spelling. Um, and uh, they have taken uh, um, several pages out of, uh, sort of strong civil disobedience activism uh, in, in terms of uh, maybe civil obedience is pushing it a bit too far, but they've made a point to not just demonstrate, but to also try to be nonviolently disruptive when members of the most extreme parts of the current coalition government come to the United States, um, and speak. Um, but I, I guess I I'll, I'll share two other thoughts about this whole issue. Um, one is that it's, it's very important to treat the old, um, chestnut that people will sometimes throw out that if you don't live in Israel, you don't have a right <clears throat> to express an opinion about it. Um, To to recognize that almost always the only people who ever say that are people who are defending far right wing policies in Israel, because the truth of the matter is some of the most far right wing policies that have been advanced in Israel um, have been initiated by wealthy diaspora Jewish influencers who are not Israeli citizens. And most
1: including the judicial reform.
2: That's right. The entire judicial reform is the product of an American think tank funded by two Jewish American billionaires. Um, So, uh, you know, fair play goes both ways. (laughs) And as a reconstructionist, I am also someone who, uh, you know, per my reading of Kaplan, sees Israeli and diaspora Jewish societies as um, ideally in a relationship that's flowing ideas back and forth, Um, and including moral corrective. Um, And I would love to see that open flow. I think Israeli society at its best offers tremendous countercultural correctives to things that are spiritually disastrous about American culture. (laughs) So I, it's, it's not that I have a desire to preach to Israelis. I I want that, that back and forth relationship that I think Kaplan really hoped could happen um, to to come to fruition. Israel has become,
0: I mean, this is not a new development, but, but really a third rail in many, many American Jewish, North American diaspora Jewish communities. Um, We don't, we tend not to to talk about it, even even um, even with the prominence it has. How how does that manifest in in Reconstructionist Judaism? Um, how, how does the movement itself deal with with um, this rich diversity of opinions? Um,
2: I feel like i've um, I've really gotten a a good opportunity over the past, I want to say, eight months, to talk to a lot of lay leaders. Um, adult ed programmers and rabbis um, across our movement, who much more so than at any time in the past seven years I've been in this job, um, have been emailing, calling, saying, you know, we're trying to figure out how to do some kind of programming um, around what's going on in Israel, and we're not quite sure how to do it. And so I've noticed that I think we do have some congregations that struggle so much with the ways in which doing Israel programming becomes quickly divisive um, that they do avoid it. Um, But I actually think a large majority of our congregations do not treat Israel as a third rail. Um, I think that they treat Israel programming as something that – is challenging and that they feel a, a growing sense of, of duty or pressure to try to find a way to handle. And then they want, if they want help, they're they're more and more aware of the, that they can contact us. Um, so, you know, that's resulted in a few different outcomes. In some cases, um, I've been asked to come do webinar and Q and A. Um, in other cases, uh, people have simply wanted advice about a title for a program or um, you know uh, I had a call not long ago from a rabbi who has another retired rabbi who's a member of their congregation who the you know the first rabbi generally feels a great deal of confidence in but the retired rabbi is feeling extremely um activated about wanting to push more of that, that congregation's members to be more outraged by these right-wing moves in Israel. And so that rabbi just wanted to talk about how how can I skillfully encourage this other rabbi to go ahead and offer a, a course that they want to offer, but how can I do it in a way um, that also um, makes sure I don't just cede all control over what could turn out to be a dicey thing if it goes sideways. Um, So I do do see a lot of our congregations making calculated and thoughtful decisions. And by the way, a lot of the congregations that do make decisions to engage don't contact us for help. They just go ahead and do stuff. Um, And then the way I learn about it is I see something in their newsletter. Um, So, you know, there's... There's a lot of our congregations that if they're in a university town, they have one or two professors come and give a talk. And um, they, the, the, the common denominators I tend to see is that they, they tend to want people who, um, you know, aren't reading from a, um, an oversimplified script, who can handle differences of opinion, uh, and who bring a certain kind of intellectual rigor um, to to the conversations in other words kind of what you would hope for and expect <laughs> that reconstructionist communities would would want and um so i i want to just offer all of that out as an alternative portrait of of how our communities are wrestling with all of this and 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 it is definitely wrestling and there is anxiety and fear um that's part of it
1: I just I think that's such a great answer, and I'm so grateful that we are a resource and and a place where our our congregations can turn. And really, Maurice, that's very much a testament to your work, and I'm very grateful for all that you do. I just want to zoom out a little bit, like, and this is with my historians' hat on, as much as uh, as a Jewish communal leaders hat on. Definitely, you know, for a couple of decades following the establishment of Israel, and most especially after the Six Day War. Israel loomed large in American Jewish uh, education and I- identity, um, without necessarily relationship or and without necessarily a lot of content. So you know, a lot of Israel Independence Day programming used to be like, let's have a fair and let's eat falafel, you know, and, and not the kind of content that Maurice was just talking about. And the the, the word on the street used to be that. that the collective communal understanding used to be up until through the 90s was that Israel was the great consensus uh, topic among American Jews, uh, especially those who were kind of oriented toward affiliation, uh, and even those who weren't necessarily. And what we've seen over the last 15 and especially 10 years was the shattering of that consensus, um, and I think that that's what really led to the shutdown and to the disengagement. And there's a lot. There's a lot behind that consensus. Like the Israeli government really, really uh, actively stifled any dissent um, in the in the in the in, in the 70s and in the 80s. There's there's a lot behind what went into that consensus, and uh, and those efforts uh, started to be more and more. Uh, problematic and um, more and more resisted as the consensus started to fracture. And I so I think the silencing really spoke to like a kind of paralysis and a kind of um, lack of skills that we had to talk in a sophisticated, in, in a way that allowed us to celebrate and also take seriously critique and take seriously the national aspirations of other people Um, who also live in that land, and so I do think that what we are seeing over the last couple of years, the the Reconstructionist movement was at the vanguard of the fracturing, and as Maurice just reported, the Reconstructionist movement is at the vanguard of the moving beyond it, um, back into um, some kind of engagement. Ironically, I think the current government and this tremendous overreach that that retired rabbi is so activated by has kind of helped that that people who previously said uh this was a slogan a couple of years ago wherever we stand we stand with israel now don't really stand for these values and so that one has to be able to hold multiple things at once like we, we are those of us who whether we're long accustomed to doing it or we're new to it we're all trying to hold multiple realities um and so I, d- I, think that this is really hard and this is really complicated. I do think it's much healthier than either the enforced consensus or the um, kind of uh, uh, terrified uh, paralysis.
0: Wow, I'm told where, where, where time is starting to run down, and I feel like I'm I'm just I'm just starting to to get warmed up with this stuff. But but um, there's there's so much. Um... Um, you each mentioned the word wrestling, and, and I'll, I'll throw this I'll just throw this question out to to either of you. Um, the Evolve platform has certain the website has certainly featured a number of pieces that that raise the the issue the the consciousness of of Palestinians suffering and injustices perpetrated against Palestinians both historically and and through today and and i'm wondering how do we weigh that with um where where wrestling with it grappling it understanding it should should fit in jewish communal priorities and and how you might balance that with with active support for a progressive democratic israel does 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 anything in 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 reconstructionist thought help help us Parse all that because it is it is it can be a lot. Just following this stuff can be a lot to hold in your head and and your heart at at one time and and, and try to make sense of. Um. So that that's definitely the most concise question I have I've ever asked. But but um, <laughs> whoever feels uh ready to jump in.
1: So Maurice, why don't you go first and
2: then I'll i then I'll go. Okay. Sure. So I, there's a question underneath that question that I think is um, at work. And th- that question is, how do we handle the possibility of discovering that the history of Israel's creation and then um, the firming up of its establishment after the war in 1948 um may not have been as uh, morally clean and unambiguous as we were raised to think. And if, in fact, there's a a rather serious dark side um, to those events, then what becomes of our connection, our relationship to and our advocacy for Israel? And I think that it's really helpful to take a step back from a question like that and notice that if, if that's what's being asked underneath and it's causing a lot of us to have this spike in anxiety um, to kind of be a little mindfulnessy about it and, and kind of interrogate that anxiety, because I want to suggest that as Americans, Our experience of discovering, let's say, whole new layers um, to realities of atrocities or other just grave injustices committed by people who formed and then solidified the United States, even if they weren't our personal ancestors, um, they're people to whom we owe our existence and, and, you know, first world, relatively free life. Here, so we, we we accept the bargain of uh, an imperfect uh, founding, whose story sometimes gets worse as more gets uncovered. Sometimes gets better, um, and we tend to be able to receive that information without the same degree of panic. Um, we tend to be able to then pause and and look to our our deepest sources of wisdom and, and morality and say, okay, so what now? And, you know, so for, for me, the other part of your question was um, what can reconstructionism do? Um, I think reconstructionism and even bigger Judaism writ large offers us a lot of wisdom around how to come to terms with the you know the the morally mixed bag that tends to be part and parcel of being human, of struggling to survive, um, and of trying to make a way in the world. And I think that there's an awful lot that we have to learn um, that invites us to be careful not to treat questions in black and white terms, to be careful not to assume that. Uh, if the current order that benefits us includes some injustices as is part of its foundation, not to assume that therefore the solution is to completely overturn the table and flip over to the exact opposite order. That that to to advocate for a complete overturning of everything that was and an undoing of everything that was, um, history has really taught us that very often those kinds of revolution and overturnings of things, then produce their own grave and gross injustices. Um, For me, I I feel like we have a tradition that, especially the rabbinic tradition, that cautions us to keep weighing and balancing competing values and to bear also in mind um, that the effort to try to be more fair, more just to all the stakeholders in a real world set of circumstances is in many ways a very high moral calling. And that, for me, is what I look to uh, for guidance in in this situation.
1: So powerful, Maurice. Thank you. I, I do think it is incumbent on um, every person and every community to grapple with the reality of... Of 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 another people, with their own narrative, with their own aspirations, with their own suffering, um, and uh, that there is a way that that the advancement of our own aspirations and our own um, liberation must also take into consideration the concerns and the and the needs and the aspirations and the pain of others that 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 it is it's not truly liberatory if if zionism is as some people claim the liberation movement of the jewish people i would claim that the only way for that to be true is if it is one that is full of empathy and compassion and justice and i happen to believe along with kaplan and along with the founding you know, Generation of Reconstructionists, that democracy is an essential tool toward uh, toward those ends. Um, so I'm, I'm not particularly interested in a, a, a Zionism,
0: I'm not at all
1: interested in a Zionism stripped of democracy, and I'm especially mistrustful of a Zionism that takes on the language and the tactics and the stance of the... Of, uh, of, of chauvinism, of ethno-nationalism, of Jewish supremacism. That's just, um, it's, I can't even believe those words are tumbling out of my mouth. Um, and so I think when I look at what, so how, how every individual sorts that out and how every congregation negotiates that among its members, I, I, there's no prescribed answer, but that it's a mandate, that it's a reality and a mandate is um it just seems that that this is the world we're living in and also this is the world we want to be living in um, what I will say about reconstructionism you know there's an ongoing debate about uh, how how bound to Kaplan's vision reconstructionism is and you know he wrote he was writing a hundred years ago 90 years ago 80 years ago in circumstances that have some continuities with today and have huge huge discontinuities and there are things that he couldn't possibly have imagined. What Kaplan was most, you know, Zionism was incredibly inspirational to reconstructionism. He was keenly aware that that this was not really even a, um, the political move toward establishing the state of Israel really didn't exist until the late 19th century. And it went from this tiny fringe idea in the 1880s to to by the time he was writing in the interwar period the period between the first and the second world war a, a movement that united huge swaths of jews around the world and what he really wanted was for reconstructionism to be um alongside of that uh you know a, a, as inspirational this methodology this approach that would be as inspiring and as uniting and he saw zionism of both an inspiration and of a piece with that um but it was definitely not. Um, uh, what he was trying to do, the the primary expression of Zionism in his day was Eastern European political that was hostile to religious Judaism. And the essential move that he made was to reinsert religious texts and religious practices and religious values into Zionist ideas. And I think that, um, you know, he, he was concerned with minority rights in Israel a little bit, not as much as we would like, more than many of his peers, and not as much as we would like for our purposes today. But what I take out of, out of the, the long-standing Reconstructionist commitments that were first modeled by and launched into the world by Mordecai Kaplan is a, a fearlessness at looking, or not even a fearlessness, it, it, you can be full of fear, but, but the recognition that you cannot look away from hard truths that there are opportunities within those challenges, that we must be bold, that we can be deeply grounded even as we move forward. And that justice has to be, that at the end of the day, being Jewish, and I'm certain he would say being Zionist, is a means to being the best possible human being, not just not the best possible Jew, or the best possible Zionist, but the best possible human being, best possible citizen of the planet and so that there and then he believed and i believe with him that democracy is an essential way toward achieving that kind of just and equitable world um, so that that is something that i take a lot of uh i i i i feel like i there are there it's a firm foundation to stand on a liberal zionist perspective i feel that we are you know that Maurice and I and so many others engaged in this in our congregations among the Reconstructionist rabbinate are furthering it, um, are furthering this vision of of what what a just and equitable uh, Zionist vision can look like in at this at this moment in time, and and you know and, and even setting aside the ideological um, statement of Zionism, just what it means to be in this world in a way um, that 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 as, as Boris so powerfully said, um, we, we navigate through the partial narratives and the pain toward redemption, toward connection, toward justice, toward it.
0: Maurice and, 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 Deborah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's a difficult topic and, and you really gave me and our listeners a lot, um, a lot to think about as, as, as we wrestle with pretty, pretty profound moral, factual practical questions. Um, and and just it's it's always good to be with, with, be with both of you no matter the topic.
2: Uh, I want to thank you so much. This has been a really great experience and I'm glad we had a chance to talk.
1: Me too. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Brian and Maurice, it's always such a blessing to be in conversation with this and uh, this topic with you.
0: So, what'd you think of today's episode? We want to hear from you. Evolve is about meaningful conversations, and, and that includes you. Send me your questions, comments, feedback, whatever you got. You can reach me. This is my real email address, bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. We'll be back soon with an all-new episode. Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations, is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Wachs. Our theme song, Ilufinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. This show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and I will see you next time.